Welcome to the Barnyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the Hump Day edition of The Yard. That will mark the seven-day anniversary of Mississippi State's first-ever college baseball national championship. And, man, how good does it feel? It's been so great in town, I'll be honest with you, man. Everybody here is a little more patient with each other. Everybody's a little more understanding. It just feels so good to win, and it changes so much. I mean, there's just so many people now, too, around our, our fan base, even some people that uh, at once I kind of considered self-loathing Mississippi State fans. It's kind of changed the perception of Mississippi State. You know, they're just now we, we really truly believe that we can do great things here at Mississippi State. I mean, we don't have to settle for second best. I'm going to talk about that a little bit later in the show, but it's very exciting in many respects. And it's not just because we won. It's because I think Mississippi State fans for a long time kind of always felt like we were going to have to settle for second best. And there are a lot of people like, hey, you know, Steve, we should be excited just to be there. And it's so difficult to win. And sometimes we just kind of make excuses for ourselves and excuse for the program. But, yeah, I'm just so glad that our players and our coaches didn't subscribe to that theology. There's just a lot to feel good about. You know, I mean, it's it's incredible how much has changed within our fan base in a week's time. I mean, you see the ridiculous numbers out there, and and, I, and, I'll, and I'm going to talk about this a little later in the show too, but about how you guys are just buying up championship merchandise everywhere you can find it. Because we have waited for this for a long time. We absolutely have. I mean, uh, and so for those of you that are wondering, I have set my Mississippi State National Championship tattoo appointment for a week from Friday. Once I get the stencil, once I get it on, I'll share it. It's crazy. I've had some people reach out to me and say, hey, Steve, it's my first tattoo. And so once you get the design figured out, let us know. I'll do that for you, too. The difference between us and some other people that have NAFL championship tattoos is that ours are legit. We've actually won one. But it's amazing, too, so many people that have never, ever, ever considered getting a tattoo that said, you know what? I'm going to get one because I'm that proud. People are going to carve that into their flesh, man, and say, you know what? Hey, I'm a bulldog. And there's just so many people now with so much pride in the M over S. It's... um. You know, it's very rewarding and very esteeming. I mean, it, you know, we've always had a great baseball program, but now we don't have to listen to any more of that nonsense. And as I shared on the last show, I mean, I think all of us, if we're honest with ourselves, we all kind of felt like, you know what, hey, you know, we're we're coming out here and we're turning out, we're doing a great job and we're, we're buying tickets and we're renewing season tickets and we're, you know, staffing uh, the left field lounge with the yeah, people to go out there and cook some hamburgers and hot dogs for us. And it's just remarkable the commitment that people have made both financially and emotionally into this program. And now we've got the ultimate award to show for it. So, yes, you deserve it. You absolutely do. And I, everywhere I go, people are always like, man, Steve, we did it. Steve, we did it. Hell State. I go through uh, Strange Brew to get some coffee a couple of days ago, and there's a guy in the drive through yelling at me. He's like, hey, Hell State, Steve. Hey, Hell State, brother. We just it, it, there's a little more bass in our voice and a little more pep in our step these days because, you know, we've done something we always thought we could. But in the back of our minds, there was this always this lingering doubt. Always. And I had a phone call from a uh, Mississippi State College baseball insider that said, hey, Steve, I, I heard what you said on your show and I kind of disagree. I think this is one of our more talented teams. Well, we'll agree to disagree. But I, I think there is some credence to the fact when you look at the depth of our bullpen you know, maybe we didn't have that 
you know, in 85. Maybe we didn't have that in 89. Maybe we didn't have that in 16 or even 13. But I know this, regardless of how we feel about these guys long-term, talent-wise, for one day, we were the best team in America. And that culminated two weeks of a tournament against the best teams in America. And we came out the under end of this thing. I had a chance to speak to Scotty DeBrew and Riley Self. You can read those articles for free over on jeanspage.com. Just straight Q&As, man. They're called The Conversation. The Conversation, uh, Scotty DeBrew, The Conversation, Riley Self. Of course, those guys are, uh, you know, they've exhausted their eligibility, and so they're done. I checked in with uh, Greg Campbell, Mississippi State's SID for college baseball because I want to do things the right way. But, you know, Scotty was on his way to Maine. She caught up with him in West Virginia of all places, and uh, he was headed to Maine for a summer baseball assignment. Uh, Riley's actually in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, kind of having some R&R up there with his girlfriend. It's good work if you can get it, you know. But uh, I think you'll enjoy what they had to say because there's just so much, you know, we think about, we know the players, you know, we see them on the field, you think you get an idea of what, what they're really like. But uh, I enjoy talking to them about their experience and hearing the College World Series kind of recap in their words. It's just a different deal. And, you know, Scotty DeBrule's a guy that's here for one year, and now his name will live in, in infamy forever. I kind of joke with him about that. I said, isn't it kind of interesting that you, you're here for one year and you'll be able to come back here 20 years from now and be introduced at Dirty Noble Field and get a standing ovation? It's incredible. There's so many things you look at about, you know, it's just the right guys, the right time, the right fans. And I heard that Ron Polk estimated that there were approximately 150 former players. I share with you guys, too, I saw a lot of those former players wearing their Mississippi State playing jerseys as they walked the concourse at, at Omaha. I think we all just kind of collectively felt like this is our time. It is our time. But it's not our only time. And so I'm, I'm not going to sit here and promise you we're going to be back in there next year. But uh, listen, we return a very talented roster. We have some guys that know what it takes to get there and then stay there and win it there. So we'll see what happens. Because, you know, baseball is about matchups. I mean, it really is. I mean, you know, it's about you know, getting hot at the right time. I remember talking to Ron Polk about that beginning of the year. You know, there are no perfect teams. There are a lot of teams out there that, you know, they don't get enough production from a third starter. You know, maybe you don't have the bullpen depth. Maybe defensively you're not quite where you want to be. And we struggled with some of that this year. But we still found a way to piece it together. I give Chris Lamont and the staff a lot of credit. They found a way to get the most out of their players. And I really thought when you go back and I watched the broadcast, uh, for, you know, for the, for the first time and I was there covering the ball game, and I sat down and watched the broadcast – and I was amazed at the confidence we had at the plate. And Scotty DeBrule shared with me that, you know, the game plan was, hey, listen, we're not going to change the game with big swings early. Let's go out there and work the middle of the field. Let's shorten our stride, shorten our approach, be quick to the baseball, and just kind of knock it back up the middle. One of the things that we talked about on the show prior to the Vanderbilt series is that I felt like whoever made the first big mistake was going to be in big trouble. And that was Vanderbilt. And it was actually Kumar Rocker. If you recall, we tap the ball back to the mound, and he throws it in the center field. Runner goes to third. Ultimately, we score that run to go up one nothing, and that was a big settling moment in the ball game. And I think it let us know that we were ready to play, and maybe they weren't. 
also saw that exchange when uh, Kumar left the mound and, and Tim Corbin's trying to talk to him and he just kind of shoves by him. And uh, you know, body language wasn't necessarily good, but that yeah, guy's a competitor. You think about how great the, the pitching staff is at Vanderbilt, at least the starting pitching. You know, Leiter and Rocker were considered to be the best one-two tandem in the country. We beat them both. Now, we lost to both of them, too, but we beat them both. We beat Leiter in Nashville to give him his first collegiate loss. We beat Rocker in a Nashville championship game. And so there are those out there that will try to suggest that, oh, Mississippi State got lucky. No, we didn't. We didn't get lucky. Luck had nothing to do with it. If anything, Vanderbilt was lucky to be there, and they ran into a better team that was playing better baseball late in the year. That's always the cliche you hear. If we want to be playing our best baseball at the end of the year, Mississippi State was. I'm just so com- completely excited about all this. I know you guys are as well. I've had several of you reach out after the last show and say, Steve, don't ever stop talking about the NAFL championship. I don't know how we can until we win another one. I share with you guys, too. I ran into um, a young man that was the uh, former bat boy in 1961 under Coach Paul Gregory. And he goes, you know, Steve, I'll die a happy man. But I, now that we got one, I want one more before I go. I think we all feel that way. I don't think we're going to have to wait 132 years for the next one, though. Jake Mangum said it himself in 19, very emotionally. So, hey, Chris Lamonis, Coach Lamonis, you're going to bring the first NAFL championship to Mississippi State baseball. And he did in the very next trip to Omaha. And so I think we feel good about where we stand. I think we feel good about the trajectory of this program. We feel good about the nucleus kind of coming back next year. And I know that John Cohen's going to do what uh, what needs to be done financially to take care of the staff. Yeah, I don't know if you guys know this. You know, Jake Gotro was a guy that was uh, mentioned in connection, of course, with a handful of jobs down the stretch. I, I really thought, you know, that, it, that was one of the things that we handled really well. You know, because you don't want these things kind of getting out there. And, you know, Jake is a guy that obviously is very, very talented and, and uh, has, you know, a lot of respect around the college baseball community. You know, it was, you know, when uh, Coach Lossnagel took the job at A&M, you know, he offered Jake Gotro a huge job there, basically the same job with more money. Then there was discussions that uh, Kirk Tarlos may not get the job at TCU to secede Lossnagel, and, of course, Gotro was in the mix there. They ultimately do hire Kirk, and uh, that, that kind of removes all doubt there. But, you know, the fact that Gotro is still here, I think, says a lot about Mississippi State, but also about him. He's not going to leave just for any other job. He's not just going to leave to be a head coach. I mean, he's got a great gig here. And to be honest with you, the way that uh, State's paying him and is expected to pay him, you know, it would take really a power five job, I think, to lure him away. I don't think he's going to go take some G5 job just to go be a head coach and fill out a lineup card and take a pay cut. He's a guy that's got kids. Scott Foxhall is a guy, too. A lot of people thought, you know what, maybe he would be in the mix for some jobs, maybe a little bit closer to home. You know, Scott's a little bit older, a little different dynamic with him. You know, maybe he gets an opportunity. And that, that was that was one of the concerns, you know, pretty late in the year is, you know, what if we lose both of them? You say, well, you know, you can promote, you know, Kyle Cheesebro to you know, be the hitting coach or, you know, and then you go out and get a pitching coach. And, you know, listen, there's not going to be any shortage of candidates that want to come coach here at Mississippi State. Not with what we have and what we can accomplish here. But I like the guys we have. I like continuity. And I think what's going to happen, I really believe this, that Chris Lamonis is recruiting at such a level right now 
that we're going to be able to replenish the talent. And I think there are some recruiting doors that are going to be open to us a little wider than perhaps they were before. Because one of the things that was used against Mississippi State on a recruiting trail is like, yeah, it's great. You go up there and you play in front of huge crowds and it's a great experience. But you want to go to Omaha, win an NFL championship, you probably need to go somewhere else. And, of course, our pitch is, you know, hey, we, you know, we need you to get there. We need you to help us win. Well, now that we've done it, you know, that can't be used against us. I don't know if you guys have kind of kept up, but um, let me share a couple of things with you real quick here before we move on. You know, we were on that list. We were second only to Florida State for most appearances without winning a title. And that was a burr in the Bulldogs saddle, wasn't it? It's like, hey, yeah, we get to Omaha 12 times, but, uh, you know, listen, you never come home with a title. Uh, that's a list we're no longer on. And so let me run down here just a handful of these just so I think you'll know. You know, Florida State obviously is number one in 23 appearances without a title. They've been runner-up three times. Can you imagine – how difficult that would be. You know, it's like Mike Martin was there forever and a day, one of the gentlemen in our sport, but uh, they just couldn't quite get there and break it down. And every single year, it seemed like Florida's like in the 90s, it's like Florida State was ranked number one preseason. It's like everybody expected it. They still haven't done it. And as miserable as it was for us, they've been almost twice as many times and hadn't brought home the hardware. So you know it absolutely has to stink for them to see us win. But you know what? You've got to figure maybe it's a matter of time. Number two on the list now is Clemson, who didn't make the field this year. And in 12 appearances, they only have 12 wins in the College World Series. So they're basically a one-win team uh, among the worst ratios. Number three on the list, North Carolina with 11 appearances. Number four, you have to go back many, many years. North Colorado used to be a college baseball power. And you kind of laugh at that, but it's true. North Colorado has 10 appearances in the College World Series and just three wins. Tied for fourth with Northern Colorado is Arkansas, who has been there 10 times and hadn't won it. They only have 15 wins, but they've been a runner-up twice. Of course, most recently in 2018, that's the Carson Shaddy drop pop-up against Oregon State that ultimately led to uh, the tying run scoring and forcing a game three that Arkansas had a little pitching left and Oregon State who was the best team in the country that year, wins the whole thing. Uh, number five on the list is actually Maine. Maine used to be a college baseball power. We actually uh, played a regional up there at their place uh, years ago. Number six, Western Michigan. And then St. John's and Texas A&M all with six. And, you know, Texas A&M actually has the most anemic College World Series history in the Southeastern Conference. What I mean by that is they have been awful in Omaha. They haven't been very often, but when they get there, they just don't do much. They are just not a great postseason baseball team. And it's interesting, too, we think about A&M with all the money they have and the fact that uh, they've got that great recruiting base out there in all sports in the state of Texas. But, you know, in their minds, they feel like they should be Alabama and football and LSU and baseball. But, you know, for some reason, maybe it's a cultural thing. They just seem to always underachieve. In sports, not just football and baseball, but just kind of collectively, they just really struggle to put these things together. And so that's a list we're no longer on. You know, we're on the list now trying to find, um, you know, multiple NAFL championships. They still give us a minute here to take our breath here. You know, it's just been uh, it's just been a week. 
and yeah, I feel the same way too, but it's like, you know, I'm not greedy, but I'm a little bit needy. You know, it's like I want to get caught up and kind of get our rightful place in the college baseball hierarchy. But again, it just feels so good to win. You know, I think about it. So many people out there that I thought about, you know, I wrote an article about uh, Dave Murray and Dave's been kind of a mentor to me for for many years. I've always looked up to David even before I worked with David and, um, you know, really kind of envious of his writing style for many years. And, um, you know, I was really happy for Dave, you know, because of 19, I, I wrote in the story, you know, I just kind of got the feeling Dave may not be back. It's like you look at this and, you know, Dave's getting a little bit older. Dave's married now. He's relocated to Charlotte and. And you begin to kind of ask yourself, you know, how many more of these trips does he have left in him? How many chances are we going to get back, you know, before Dave just decides, you know what, I just, I can't deal with the truck stop coffee anymore. You know, it's just, it's part of it. You know, people forget too, Dave was SID for baseball back in the 80s. I mean, you know, so he has seen some great teams come through here and come up short. But it was incredible. You know, he was one of the first guys. And I thought to myself when, when he told me he was coming to Omaha, I said, I'm really glad Dave was coming because if we win this thing, you know, Dave is going to write one of the best stories of his career. And um, it's really happy, you know, for Dave. And there's so many other Bulldogs out there. And, you know, I think about guys like Brantley Jones that pitched at Mississippi State and was part of that great 1970 team that, you know, won the SEC. And then our seniors were ineligible to play in postseason play. And Mike Prophet had to be the ace. And we still nearly won the District 3 tournament in Gastonia in advance to Omaha. And, of course, in 71, we do for the first time. But I think about Brantley Jones and some of those guys that um, – you know, we're part of a great team, but didn't get the opportunity to go play. We get a little more recently, I think, about that 2016 team as great as they were. Well, those big leaguers on that squad, you know, they didn't get the opportunity to go to Omaha. And there's a lot of those people, listen, it's not that the new group worked any harder than those guys. You know, sometimes it just boils down to matchups. And, you know, there are some guys that slump at the end of the year. But, you know, the thing that I remember, too, and uh, listen, I got emotional too, man, after that ball game. I was with my son, and and uh, thankfully, some great Mississippi State fans reached out to me just kind of of their own volition and said, hey, Steve, listen, kind of unbeknownst to me that, um, you know, we, we were filming a celebration and um, got a picture of you and your son. It meant a lot to me. And I want to give a shout out to Casey Luke and his dad. And Casey found me on social media and said, hey, listen, we got this and they sent me the video of, uh, of me walking out there and hugging my son. And, and it means a lot to me. I, I didn't know anybody was paying attention. You know, I was just trying to get out there without bursting into tears. You know what I mean? Because, you know, we, we all submit so much of ourselves for this. And you just, you know, it's like you want to be able to share this with family. And so I uh, thank you so much, Casey, to you and your dad uh, for, for doing that for us. And it uh, means a lot. It really does. And I've shared that, that video on social media and, and picture because uh, it does mean something to me. But there are many other Bulldog fans that never got the chance. And I thought my friend Craig Carter said it best. I interviewed him for an article I did after the celebration. He goes, you know, you think about all those Bulldogs that aren't here to see it, and it makes you happy and hurt at the same time. You know, you're happy because we won, but you hurt that they couldn't be here to see it. And I'm so grateful that I lived long enough to see this. I mean, and I'm sure you guys feel the same way, and we have a lot of silver-haired Bulldogs that – you know, have watched a lot of baseball over the years and seen a lot of great teams go to Omaha and come home empty-handed. And so as bad as I want it for me, as bad as I want it for my family, I think a lot about those people, too, that you know have really been very loyal for, for decades and not had, you know, maybe what they wanted out of this thing. And they finally get it. And it's just remarkable to me to see these people just kind of storming our local merchants to go buy 
you know, national championship shirts for themselves and for their grandchildren and their kids. And it's a, it's a beautiful thing. It really is. All right, let's get into the show. I want to thank our friends at Bulldog Burger Company. I've been there twice since I got back from Omaha. It's remarkable. Went there for my birthday, had the pimentology, had bacon, went back on Monday. We had lunch at Mike Nemeth, and I had the uh, the BLT salad. Again, I couldn't finish it. It is very, very generous in the portions. I got the fried chicken this time. I usually, I usually, usually ask him to grill it for me. But um, yeah, listen, it is a great place, great food, great prices, great atmosphere, great service. And I've had some people recently message me and say, hey, Steve, we went for the first time uh, for the celebration with my kids. We'll definitely be back. Had other people tell me, you know what, Steve, I went to the original location for the first time. Feel the same way. It's just as good as the one in Starkville. I don't know that anything is ever as good as it is in Starkville, even though the tacos taste pretty good in Omaha, but uh, everything tastes better in Omaha. But, uh, you know, it's I, I, I'm always excited to get these reports because, you know, I feel like that we're adding some real value to your life and to your entertainment and dining dollar when you go to Bulldog Burger Company. Three great locations to serve you right here on University Drive in Starkville, Gloucester Street there in Tupelo, and, of course, the new Lake Harbor uh, location there in Ridgeland. A lot of great reviews about the new place. Not that I expected it, anything less, because Ian Few is is running the show down there. That guy knows how to make the the, uh, the, the sewing machine run for sure. Well, our burger company, the place where people go to meet, M-E-A-T. I've had a lot of questions People have you know, sent me some direct messages on Gene's page and on social media and say, Steve, can you tell us a little bit about this name, image, and likeness legislation? Well, there's not a lot to tell in many respects other than the fact that it is now possible for college athletes, amateur athletes, to be part of marketing ideas. Like, so say for an example, like what you've seen the, uh, you know, the Matt Corral thing, if you want to spend $10,000 to spend – an hour with Matt Corral, and that, that's probably, you know, more on, you know, the, the absurd side of things. I mean, I, I don't know who would want to spend that kind of money, and, I, I, and that's no slight on Matt Corral. That's just a lot of money to spend with anybody for an hour. Goodness gracious. But, you know, there's been some uh, some folks that have signed, you know, with Raising Canes, and there are other people that are signing with the agencies, and then they're kind of seeking marketing opportunities on their behalf. Now, one of the things I think is important is you can't wear – like Mississippi State clothing. Like you you can go out there and use your name and say, hey, I'm so-and-so, you know, I'm Steve Robertson and you should go eat Raisin Cane's or whatever or go to Bulldog Burger. But there are some restrictions about, you know, what you can do and how you identify yourself. But what does it all mean for us? Well, you know, in football, it might be a bit of a negative. And what I mean by that is, is that, because of the fact we're in primarily a rural state, and I don't know how many marketing opportunities we're going to have, and, I, and so I think about some of these other issues and uh, these other locations, they may have more lucrative opportunities for name, image, and likeness. And I think that will be a factor in recruiting. I really do. And I think it's naive to believe otherwise. Everybody says it can't be part of the recruiting pitch, but you know it will be. You know, because the rules only apply to the rule abiding you know, the cheaters are a reason that, you know, they're called cheaters for reasons because they cheat. The rules aren't for the cheaters. The rules are for the people that actually do what they're supposed to do. But there will be that aspect of it in the 
in the recruiting pitch. And so I think in football, it could be a bit of a detriment for us. Now, in baseball, I think it's much different. And I think this is where State and Ole Miss both really kind of benefit in baseball because of the fact that our baseball players are really a lot more recognizable because we don't have, you know, a pro sports team in the state of Mississippi and people are very, very excited about State and Ole Miss. And, and so there will be a lot of businesses out there that will say, hey, listen, I want to partner with this athlete or that athlete, you know, and, and I, I, if I was, uh, you know, say a car dealer, I might get a, a state athlete and an Ole Miss athlete and, you know, kind of use them in the same marketing campaign so I don't alienate one fan base. But I think that's going to be a big thing kind of moving forward. And I think maybe in baseball it helps us a little bit, especially with the scholarship shortfall situation. I think all of a sudden you know, these opportunities are available to these young people it kind of offsets a lot of their college expenditures. And so those are things we kind of watch moving forward. You know, I had somebody tell me today, you know, that, you know, Jake Mangum's uh, got the deal with Farm Bureau and, you know, they're doing a great job with him. You know, he's he's their uh, spokesperson, I guess. And, uh, you know, those kind of opportunities are going to be available now for college athletes. You know, when Jake was here, you know, and I both know this, I mean, I mean how many kids wanted the Jake Mangum jersey? Well, all of them. Well, now Jake could have profit from that, you know, as an, as an amateur athlete. Of course, as soon as he, he went pro, they had the uh, shirt line that came out, I guess, through Deep South Powder and, uh, you know, all these great Jake Mangum type shirts. But he couldn't profit on that until he became a professional baseball player. Well, now, you know, when you've got guys like Landon Sims that are now household names, mostly in Mississippi, but really kind of around the country and in college baseball circles, you know, he's going to have some marketing opportunities. And so didn't you begin to think about this? You know, listen, I know how this thing is going to work. So the coach goes and sits down and, and then the kid's going to say, well, coach, you know, what about name, image, and likeness? Oh, as a matter of fact, you know, some of our athletes use this person or that person. You put them in touch. And of course, they've already got some things lined up because here's the thing that I think a lot of people don't fully appreciate. And I'm not saying this to be negative about Ole Miss. So please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. It's like some of the things that they were found guilty of in their NCAA investigation could now be kind of uh, circumvented through this name, image, and likeness deal. So it's like the the whole deal about the guy that gave him a few thousand dollars or whatever it was. Well, before that was impermissible. Well, now it's legal. Now you can't just go give him the, the cash money, but let's say for an example, you know, you pay him for an appearance. Or you pay him to do some marketing for your business or he's in an advertising campaign. Now you can kind of funnel that money to them in a very, very uh, lucrative way that is now permissible by the NCAA. Now, you can't do it as a recruit. You can't go out there and recruit with that, even though you know they will. There will be some promises made, you know, when all that's kind of getting together. But, you know, now it's like, hey, listen, you sign with us and then we're going to have a deal with you through this company or that company and you're done. And so now you don't have to run the risk of running afoul of NCAA improper benefits legislation. And in many respects, I think this is kind of opening up a Pandora's box because it is going to be a bidding war. But now it's legal. Today's podcast is brought to you by Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast. What's the best way to help you and your finances thrive? The answer can be overwhelming with all the financial misinformation out there. Fortunately, you can turn to Nerd Wallet's objective finance journalists to set things straight and help you make smart decisions with your own money. 
The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bill so I don't dread April every single year. Managing finances with a partner without causing a breakup. Putting away more money for retirement since I'm not going to do this podcast forever. Sorry, folks. And also boosting my credit score since good credit is like a real-life cheat code. Saving for an emergency fund because life is like a good movie. It loves a good plot twist. The nerds also explain the real impact that the latest financial headlines could have on your life. Weekly financial check-ins with smart money help you spend more time doing what matters and less time worrying about what doesn't. Let NerdWallet's trusted experts untangle today's web of financial misinformation. Listen to NerdWallet's smart money podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Bulldog fans, rodeo season is here. I tried the Dixie National Rodeo. Get ready to roll, man. And uh, I remember being a kid, that was like the biggest highlight for us. My grandmother would get us tickets every year. And me and my brother would wear our cowboy outfits. We'd put our boots on, have our chaps, our vest. And we'd go up there. And just in case one of the cowboys got a little bit scared to get on a horse or a bull, we were willing to do it. Yeah, for sure. Guys, boots aren't just for going out to a country western bar and doing a little boot scooting. Maybe you got a little Texas two-step in your game. Tacovas can make you look better than ever. Absolutely. And here's the deal, too. That's the thing. The versatility of Tacovas is you can wear them somewhere nice or you can live life where you don't go gently. That's what Tacovas does for you. Yeah, it's a rugged, handsome boot. It's my favorite boot brand, and it should be yours, too. Be sure and check them out. Tacovas believes in Western for all people, and you can feel that when you go into their stores, when you walk in, you'll be greeted like family, offered a boot shine and a drink, and maybe even an adult beverage if you prefer, and you can get custom fitted for a new pair of Tacovas boots. You can get custom leather stamping or branding, whatever you need to make it feel somewhat individual. Look up your closest store at tecovis.com. But if you can't make it to a store, Tecovis delivers the most premium quality and most comfortable Western goods right to your door. Visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And you know what, partner? Point your toes west. And so then all of a sudden, kick and say, listen, uh, coach, I went to LSU and they're telling me they can get me X thousand dollars through raising canes and all this money through Tabasco. And then all of a sudden, Alabama's like, OK, well, listen, you know, we can get you this. We can get you that through this company and that company. And so I think it could be something that could really change amateur athletics in a very negative way if it's not legislated properly. Now, the rest of that story is is not all of your student athletes are going to be marketable. They're just not. You know, like you may have, you know, hometown hero, let's say for an example, like Luke Hancock, who I think is more marketable than a lot of other athletes. You know, Luke might be able to kind of pick up a deal, you know, stumping for maybe a car dealership from Houston or something like that. You know, but is if you're, you know, a major company in Mississippi, you know, you want to partner with the most well-known people possible. So maybe, maybe you want to be with Landon Sims. And maybe you want to be, you know, would say, you know, Kellum Clark. And so not it's not going to be a level playing field. And that's the thing that I guess is really concerning. It'd be one thing. It's like, OK, here's what we're going to do. We've got X number of dollars and we're going to split that among everybody. You know, like in Major League Baseball, 
everybody signs that agreement where kind of gives MLB permission to use their name, image, and likeness. And at the end of the year, they all the athletes that are involved in that agreement split the money. Because you're not your backup catcher on a softball team is not going to have a lot of marketing opportunities. And it's a partial scholarship sport, so they're still going to have to take out loans. So I don't know if it really benefits them. And I hate to use softball, but that's again, that's not a that's not a head counter sport. It's a partial scholarship sport, and it's just not going to be you know, as many opportunities for those athletes. That's the thing. I think that the way this has been built, a lot of people is not really prepared them for that. It's like, I remember uh, Deion Sanders, he's been very vocal about it. You know, said, Hey, when this name image and likeness thing comes up, you guys are going to be able to profit off your image. But what if you don't have an image? And what I mean by that is what if you don't have a brand? What if you're not a marketable player? I mean, if I'm a business, you know, in Jackson, and I'm trying to get the greatest exposure for my business. I'm going to try to partner with the best student athletes across the state of Mississippi that I can possibly can, regardless of where they go to school. Do you think those kids at Delta State have a marketable brand? And listen, you know, God bless those kids, man. Many of them are on scholarship and, and doing the best they can to get an education and, and change their family tree, but they don't have a marketable brand. And so the way that it's been built to some student athletes is like, oh, yeah, man, it's just going to be this windfall of money. You go ahead and get ready a year from now when you start hearing all these complaints about how unfair it is. Because it, in, in many respects, it's not fair in, in the, the situation that everybody has the same opportunities. But such is life, right? I mean, do, do you think it's the same for all the guys in the MLB? It's not. Something that's the same for all the guys in the NFL. I mean, some people have these endorsement deals and it's brands you've never heard of. You know, but it's just an opportunity for those people to go wear those brands and spend some ad money. And, you know, there's agencies to line those things up, but it's not going to be equitable. And everybody needs to understand that right here and now. Dak Prescott would have made a fortune at Mississippi State just on jersey sales alone. Not to mention everybody that in the state of Mississippi that wanted to attract Mississippi State clientele would have used Dak as a spokesperson, would have gone out of their way. And so then all of a sudden, Dak is in the situation where it's really kind of a buyer a buyer's market in, in many respects because he can say, you know what, hey, I can do your deal, but I'm getting 5000 from this company, your competitor. So it's something to really watch. And, what, you know, what happens to the, uh, the left tackle that doesn't get anything, you know, whereas maybe, you know, maybe Dak is getting Chick-fil-A and they're getting, you know, you know, the fish fry back home. It's not going to be the same amount of money, and neither of them have the same brand. And so those are the things that I really kind of consider, too. What, you know, what happens to the locker room, you know, when all of a sudden, you know, your star quarterback is making enough money to go out there and party and have a big house and, you know, have all the girls over or whatever, and, you know, and then, your, you know, your, your backup center's living in a dorm, you know, having to eat ramen noodles, uh, you know, for, di- for dinner one night because uh, – you know, he missed supper or something. I mean, and those are extreme examples because you always play those up. It's for the sake of hyperbole. But those are the concerns that I have about it. Now, I do think it can be a real benefit to Mississippi State in baseball. As I mentioned, I think State and Ole Miss both can benefit from that because of the fact that I think that you will have some ways to kind of, you know, compensate athletes to prevent them from going into debt to play in baseball. Now, Let's talk about the Vanderbilt thing for a second here, too. Now, you say, well, you know, they're Nashville, and so it's a major metropolitan area. They're going to have some opportunities, but, you know, 100% is 100%. 
And so I think that the recruits you're already losing to Vanderbilt, you're going to continue to lose them. But you might get one or two of them that maybe you weren't getting initially. Does that make sense? Because like now we can say, well, Vanderbilt can offer 100% scholarship. We can say, you know what, we can't offer you 100% scholarship. However, there will be some opportunities that will allow you on, on the top of your stipend and on top of your scholarship for you to make some money uh, through marketing that will offset your college expenses. So in that respect, I think it kind of narrows the field a little bit. Now, Vanderbilt can always say, hey, yeah, we can give you 100% and and you can make a little money here. But uh, I just, you know, if, if I'm in Nashville, I'm probably going to you know, spend my advertising dollars on a Tennessee Titan or a Nashville Predator. You know what I'm saying? I, I just don't think, even though it's a major metropolitan city, I just don't think it really helps them as much as it does a place like, you know, Mississippi State where college baseball is such a huge deal to a lot of people and there's not a lot of other in-state athletic programs to really compete against. But this issue is not going away, and I do think the legislation will change a lot over the course of the next few years. don't know what it's going to look like in the end. I do know that we have some very intelligent people on campus at Mississippi State that are kind of working through this. You know, one of the things that I hear, too, is like, you know, how do they communicate to the university when a student athlete has signed a deal? You know, how does, that, how does all that work? You know, who's the burden of proof on there? You know, those are the things you kind of wonder about, too, is, you know, how is this communicated? Because all of a sudden, if a, you know, if a kid shows up and all of a sudden they've got all this money and a new car and everything else, well, compliance is going to get involved. And they say, oh, well, there's a paper trail here because he signed a marketing deal with this company and, you know, here's the, here's the pay stubs and everything else. So it's pretty easy to prove, but it could also kind of lead to a lot of work for your compliance staff. So there will be some safeguards that have to be put in play. Because, you know, that's the thing you think about, too, is, you know, what's fair market value? You know, because that, that's where things would get really hairy and say, hey, listen, it's worth it to us to, to invest. You know, we're going to invest $10,000 in this student athlete, and they're going to be our, our spokesperson for the state of Mississippi and be in some ads and be on some billboards and things like that. And we think it's worth that to us. Well, you know, there may be another company that, that could do the same thing for a lesser lesser amount. And so how do you legislate it where it's equitable, but also, too, it prevents people from overpaying in an attempt to uh, get a student athlete to maybe go to their school? I am glad I'm not having to figure this thing out, but I do think the NCAA has dragged their feet on this for years and years and years, and now you've kind of forced the uh, federal oversight onto this topic. And anytime you get the government involved in things, and I'm not going to be at a you know, rage against the machine right here, even though I love the band, you know, when you get the government involved, things get a little more convoluted. It just does. And so the NCAA, I think, it did not do what they should have done. The NCAA kind of was asleep at the wheel for a while, hoping the issue would go away. It didn't. And now here it is. And now you've got to have federal oversight into this. And, you know, I, I really, you know, listen. You know, Mark Emmert and those guys, you know, they may be good people at heart, but I guess because of the fact that I've always been a leader, I would never lean on the federal government. I would never in a million years go into a congressional hearing and say, hey, we need you guys to give us this. You know, listen, part of my mandate, if you if you if I was hired you know, to be the president of the NCAA, I would run the NCAA. 
I wouldn't just go to meetings and shake hands and that kind of stuff and do photo opportunities and then depend on the federal government to do my job. And so that's one of the reasons I think we need new leadership in the NCAA, because it's the, it's a lack of leadership that has kind of brought this thing into the situation that it's in. You know, their reluctance to make a meaningful change here has forced some other people to get involved that may not completely understand the amateur model. And that's not to say that uh, student athletes shouldn't get more money. I have always been a proponent of that. But I think if we're going to do that, we need to make sure we take care of the partial scholarship sports uh, first, because uh, I've talked about that, you know, very passionately on the show before. And there are a lot of people because they excel in a different sport are having to pay to play. And let's, let's say for an example, you may have opportunities to play football and or baseball at two different schools. Well, you know, if, unless you're a guy that's got means or you know, you, you're going to choose football because it's a full scholarship sport, even if you don't play because you're going to graduate debt free. You go play baseball. It's not going to be a full grant unless you go to Vanderbilt. And so I think it's important to kind of understand the distinction. There has got to be some type of legislation to kind of balance this out. And if you haven't watched Matt Wyatt's documentary, Uneven, I think he does a really good job kind of explaining a very complicated issue because there are some Title IX considerations and there's all this headcount stuff. And, you know, football is a big part of that. And let's just kind of put this out here. I mean, I would say outside of gymnastics and then outside of some of the larger women's basketball programs, there's just not a lot of opportunities you know, for women to market themselves. I mean, if you if you ever watch one of those SEC gymnastics meets, I mean, it's a sellout just about every time. You know, there's a lot of moms that bring their daughters and they're aspiring gymnasts and they love it and they go and they and they spend money. But where are the marketing opportunities going to come from for, for women student athletes? And I think that's going to be another unintended consequence of this is you're going to have some Title IX issues. They're going to pop up, and maybe they're, maybe it's not by design, but that is something that I think is very complicated. It's going to have to be addressed. And I'm just going to you know say it as I, as I feel it, but you know there's not a lot of people that watch women's athletics. I mean, you look at the numbers for yourself, and that's not me. Listen, I love women's basketball, and I love especially when we're playing well, right? I mean, when, when State was competing for championships – I watched our games and watched South Carolina's games and Tennessee's games and whoever's next on the schedule. And so I watched. And, and the, the level of play that has uh, you know, really kind of evolved in the last 20 years is remarkable. I mean, uh, when, when our women were – when our women beat UConn and, and then should have beat Notre Dame, you know, watching them get up and down the floor, I mean, the quality of play was incredible. And watching UConn, they're, they're like a, a machine out there. But there are not a lot of people, unless you have a vested interest or rooting interest in the game, you're going to tune in to watch that game. Whereas with football, you know, we all love Maxion, right? We love Tuesday night football. We don't even have a rooting interest in that game, but we'll go watch that. And so as a result of that, I think you have to look at, you know, what is the greater good for, for college athletics? And so, you know, a lot of people say, you know what, Steve, is a capitalist society and the market kind of sets the cap there. And so you just kind of let it play out the way that it is. But I just don't think that the NCAA and then the Title IX lawyers are going to look at it the same way. I think they're going to eventually find a way to kind of provide some balance within the force to ensure that everybody's getting a little bit something. But that's not what's happening right now. You know, I don't know if you saw um, Rakia Jackson signed with a, a marketing team and and, and she'll get some opportunities. 
But do you think Rakia Jackson has the same brand that Victoria Vivian's had or Tierra McCowan had, Morgan William had, Blair Schaefer? You know, team success kind of goes along with this thing, too. And so while I think Rakia Jackson is a very skilled athlete and, and very marketable in many respects, I don't think she has built the same brand that some of her predecessors have. And so, again, if they if Victoria Vivians had had the opportunity uh, to be marketed as an amateur athlete, she would have made a fortune. You know, she would have been able to graduate you know, college with a nice little nest egg and you know, be able to begin life. Those are the things you think about. And obviously, she probably got a really good deal from the WNBA, but I mean, even those contracts are not especially lucrative. But you know, if you're able to kind of save some money, you know, then I mean, think about how difficult it is when you get out of college. You know, you get a job, but it's like, okay, we got to move to a new city, and I want to get a new car, and I got to you know, buy a house or get an apartment, and I got to get all my stuff set up. And I don't want all my college stuff, and so it's difficult to just begin life. And so, I think in many respects, it's kind of helpful for those student athletes that are kind of looking to navigate into the next phase of life to have that opportunity to put some money in the bank. And there are going to be other people that aren't responsible with that money at all. And you know that as well as I do. But it's their money. They do what they want to with it. So it is complicated and it is something that will evolve over the course of the next few years. And what we have today won't be what we have five years from now as far as legislation and oversight of the name, image, and likeness. Uh, you know, opportunities that are available to student athletes today. All right, let's jump into today's top 10 list brought to you by johnnypacker.com. I, I heard from uh, John earlier today, and if you hadn't done so, go visit johnnypacker.com. It's not just sunglasses right now, okay? They have put some new swag on there just for you guys. And uh, Johnny Packer said, hey, listen, you know, we put some things on there because, you know, we've had, we're selling a lot of glasses, but some other people have some requests. So there is a tab now. It says uh, shirts and gear. And so there's tumblers and there's T-shirts and there's just some things on there that, uh, you know, are a little bit different. And so even got a nice little uh, camping mug on there, kind of an ample camping mug. And so you can check it out. So it's some new swag on there. But the the shop shopping for the glasses, you got blue light glasses. And there are some that don't require a prescription. I've had actually some questions about that. It's a, hey, Steve, I would like to have the blue light glasses, but I really just need them to read. Well, you know what? You can get plus one reading blue light glasses and plus two reading blue light glasses. A lot of good glasses on here. You need to check them out. The sunglasses on there are spectacular. And it's interesting, too, that I just had my prescription sunglasses chewed up by one of my dogs. And so I've had, I'm have i actually uh, working through that now. But um you know, looking on here now, the Greenwood Pink Tortoise for female, that's that's the best seller right now. Best seller. Hattiesburg, Dark Gunmetal, also one of the better sellers. Belzona and Holly Springs, both show is sold out, but here's the deal. You use that Contact Us link on there and send them an email, they'll get them on order for you. They absolutely will. So go check them out today, johnnypacker.com, and use promo code BONEYARD to save 10%. A portion of each purchase goes directly to the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation to help bring quality of life and improve the lung function of people suffering with cystic fibrosis. So you're doing business with bulldogs and doing something really cool to help somebody else's life. You need sunglasses anyway. And I hate that I don't have mine. Oh, my gosh. I went outside the day and I, I thought the sun was on fire. And I guess technically it is. But you know exactly what I mean when you if you're somebody that wears sunglasses regularly and you don't have them. It, it's a life changer. It really is. 
So top 10 list today, one of my favorite 80s bands. We did blow for my Valentine a couple days ago, and I had some people reach out. They're like, Steve, I'm so glad to know that you love Bullet, and I do. I do love Bullet, and I think there are other people that reached out and said, you know what, Steve, I didn't know much about this band, but you're right. These guys really rock. So this is uh, a band from the 80s that was a uh, a band that Bon Jovi, John Bon Jovi himself, discovered. And I actually got into a huge argument in Canton, Mississippi one time in the Magic Mart parking lot. But it tells you anything. It tells you how legit I am. And so about this band, because uh, some people are being critical of this band. I love this band, and I felt the need to defend them. Now, as a mature adult, I wouldn't care. I don't care what you say. I like what I like, and I don't feel the need to go defend some band. If you want to be stupid, you can be. I won't stand in your way. But the band was Cinderella. Cinderella, uh, not really doing much today. Tom Kiefer, the singer, has the Tom Kiefer band. And uh, there's a great track that he's got on that first album called Solid Ground that I absolutely love. A lot of people kind of miss, I guess, kind of miss labeled Cinderella, you know, it's kind of as a glam band because they were really kind of image conscious early on. But if you got in deeper into the catalog, the second and third albums, uh, they were much different, much different. And really more of a blues-based band. That's really where Tom Kiefer's from uh, as far as a musician. Does a great job with that 12-string. And I think one of the best covers of uh, of that decade was uh, Cinderella's cover of Janis Joplin's Move Over. I think Tom was the perfect uh, singer to sing that song. And so top 10 Cinderella songs, and that's not the fairy tale. That's not the cartoon. This is a band. The uh, honorable mentions, and and I, I could easily have, have made a case for many of these songs, but it's uh, Hot and Bothered. That's off the Greatest Hits album. And then You Don't Like It, Well, I Don't Care. That's off Long Cold Winter. Push Push is off of Night Songs. Probably should have been a single. And then the title track off that debut album, Night Songs. Had these on cassette. I have them on DVD now and also downloaded to my phone. Listen to these th- these guys regularly. I'm a big Tom Kiefer guy. And uh, listen, that that opening, that the first band, and I guess they'll eventually get back and reunite, but uh, there's some legal issues they've got to kind of work through with, uh, I think it's Mercury Records. But uh, yeah, Jeff Labar on guitar, Eric Birdingham on bass, Fred Corey on drums, and then Tom Kiefer as the singer. I actually saw them play February 13th, 1987. They opened for Bon Jovi down in Biloxi. Many of you were there. Others will claim you were. But it was an incredible night, sold-out show, and that was at the height of Bon Jovi's uh, fame. They were incredible. That was the Slippery When Wet tour, and Cinderella opened. And I really thought Cinderella actually outplayed Bon Jovi. I thought Cinderella was great. Not that Bon Jovi was bad. I just thought Cinderella rocked a lot harder. So here is your top 10. And so number 10, one of the last big singles from them before they, they went on hiatus, you know, Tom Kiefer has had uh, some throat issues and uh, to work through some vocal paralysis and uh, doing really well now. But number 10 is Shelter Me. And I remember that one of the lyrics on here that kind of stands out is about Tipper Gore. It says, uh, you know, Tipper led a war in the streets. She said she saw the devil on MTV. Uh, that was about the PMRC, and, and for those of you that don't know, I actually wrote a paper about that when I was in high school, the Parents Music Resource Center, where they wanted to uh, put those black labels, explicit lyrics, and all that did was help record sales because people were like, oh, well, I want to get this, you know, because of the fact it had the warning label on it, you felt like it was going to be a better album. 
All right, number nine off of the Long Cold Winter album. I think it's the final single off this album, if I remember correctly, but it's uh, Coming Home, a great acoustic bed to start this thing. Coming Home also is one of those songs, too, that, uh, you know, just it's just a down-home track. Doesn't matter where you're from. I think everybody identifies with that. And here's a song that didn't make um, a single, but I absolutely dig it. And it's the uh, the intro and the first song on the Long Cold Winter album. The intro is called The Bad Seamstress Blues, and I absolutely love it. I absolutely dig it. And then it goes into Falling Apart of the Seams. And uh, as a writer, I really like the way the, that, that whole thing flows together. But I think it's actually one of the strongest songs in the catalog and probably should have been on the radio. If I ever get a show, I'm playing this. I'm absolutely playing it. And to be honest with you, I'm a little bit offended that somebody in local radio hadn't reached out and said, hey, Steve, why don't you do like an obscure rock show for us one night? I'll do it. I absolutely will. Because I think there's many people that these playlists today are so restrictive. You know, I'd be out there at midnight playing the Sea Hags and Bang Tango and people like that. I'd be turning these kids on to some cool stuff. All right, number seven on the list is The Last Mile. And uh, Mississippi is actually uh, mentioned in the song. Down on the farmland, Mississippi shade. The folks down there tell me take it day by day and walk the last mile before I sleep. I love that song. I love the lyrics. I love uh, Tom Kiefer's vocal on that one. The Last Mile, again, off the Long Cold Winter album which arguably might be their best album. I mean, everybody knows the hits off the first one, but I think there's some filler on that first album. Even though I loved every bit of it, I think the second album, they matured as songwriters, and I really thought they did a better job. I thought they kind of ran out of gas on the Heartbreak Station album, and they're still climbing. And Still Climbing was really kind of, it seemed like a B-Sides album in many respects, all due respect to the band. Uh, number six, going back to that first album, it's uh, Somebody Saved Me. And I really think in many respects, because it was a performance-related video, I think this really helped them you know, kind of come be considered more of a real rock band and not just some corporate creation. Really like that track a lot. Number five, and for a while, this is my favorite song. I remember where I was living in Canton, Mississippi, when this uh, this song came out on MTV, and uh it was incredible. I, I I was I was there that summer living with my dad, and uh, I could not wait to see this video replay on MTV. Even though I had the tape, you know, it's like it's just different watching the band. And uh, if I remember correctly, they shot this at Chichen Itza in Mexico, and it's a song "Gypsy Road." And I've actually been to Chichen Itza, which is phenomenal. If you ever get a chance to get out of Mexico and go see those Mayan ruins, you got to go do it. Uh, number three, and this is probably number one for many of you. I thought it was a little bit overplayed, but it is one of the most classic love songs and uh, words to live by here. But it's don't know what you got till it's gone. And I know some people are saying, Steve, how could it not be number one? Well, it's not my favorite Cinderella song. It may be yours. It's not mine. I do love it, though. Um, it's a very, very sad song. And it's one of the things I give Tom Key for a lot of credit for. Not just as a performer, but I think as a lyricist that Tom does a great job emoting. And I think he can elicit emotion from his listeners. And I think it's one of those things, too. It's like when there is this um, commonality in many respects, you can relate to what he's talking about. And at some point, we have all felt that way. That You don't know what you got till it's gone. And a lot of times, it's no fault of our own. Number two, the one that started it all. And Tom has a big hair in this video, but 
it absolutely rocks. And it's uh, got a little uh, double entendre in the lyrics, which is kind of like the the whole Aerosmith thing, but it's Shake Me, and it's got that huge chorus. That was the thing in the 80s. We had big hair and big choruses, big speakers, big shows, a lot of other big things. But uh, Shake Me, I thought, was phenomenal. But the number one Cinderella song to me is actually not a rocker. And I usually try to go out with a rocker at number one. But it's, uh, to me, one of the three saddest love songs ever written. Now, you may disagree. Um, I'll give you my list if I hadn't already. The number one saddest love song of all time to me is My Immortal from Evanescence. I have lived that, and I think that Amy Lee is, uh, is an absolute angel, even though she's from the state of Arkansas. And then uh, number two is Watch Over Me from Alter Bridge. And then number three is Heartbreak Station, which is your number one song today from Cinderella. Uh, you know, she took the last train out of my heart. Now I think I'll make a new start. I, this is one of those songs that from the very first time that I heard it, it really moved me and spoke to me. And uh, if there was ever like a soundtrack to my life, this song would be on it. I absolutely love it. Even uh, Even when I haven't been sad. I mean, it's just one of those songs you can put on and, it takes you to a place, and that's what I think. You know, great music is like a time machine. You put it on, and it kind of transports you to where you were. And then there's people that you equate, you know, with certain songs, and that's what Heartbreak Station does for me. I, there are very few songs that move me the way this one does. And so, if you're one of these young people listening to the show, and you're unfamiliar with Cinderella, and you say, "Steve, I, you know, listen, I don't really care about '80s rock," you owe it to yourself to listen to Heartbreak Station. You do. You absolutely do. I think it is a phenomenal song. I think the songwriting is incredible. And I love the guitar on it. I think it's just the build in that song. It's just, it's like, it's one of the most perfect songs in my lifetime. And that's my personal opinion. So there you go. And I can't believe we hadn't done Cinderella before today, but now we have. So we've corrected that. We've righted the wrong. Roy has a list that he keeps updated on there. And I, I decided not to use one on the list today because I was kind of feeling Cinderella. I was kind of in a heartbreak station mood most of the day. And so I wanted to knock this out, but we have some country to do. Matter of fact, that country list is getting a little bit longer than the rest. So we'll knock one of those out on Friday. And I gave you bullets from my Valentine on Monday, Cinderella today. So we'll do some country on Wednesday. And I also look to, we have uh, kind of some classic R&B artists on there too. We'll get to some of that next week. So you guys keep sending those suggestions. Many of you send duplicates and that's okay. Doesn't bother me. But find me on social media at Scout Steve R. Or if you're worried that I won't see it, you can contact Roy Samante, my friend, at Dogmatic67. That's D-A-W-G-M-A-T-I-C, Dogmatic67. Also, all of our Spotify list are also, you can search by Dogmatic67. And again, tip of the cap to Izzy Mandelbaum, who's been putting them on uh, iTunes for us too. So I've been retweeting both lists. You can find them there. And uh, again, thank you guys so much for enjoying the top 10 list. I've had so many students come up to me. And we were out in Omaha. Say, Steve, I love the show. And I love the top 10 list. you got great, great taste in music. But, um, yeah, I've learned a lot. And there are a lot of songs on my playlist that my family or my parents are kind of surprised. And it's songs I learned on the boneyard. You don't know what that means to me. I mean, honestly, you don't know what that means to me. You you guys are getting turned on to some cool tunes. So, Go check it out. Cinderella, one of my favorite bands of all time. And I have seen them. Gosh, I can't even count how many times I saw them before they uh, before they disbanded. And I've seen Tom Key for a couple times. And 
Tom's keyboard player lives in South Haven, Mississippi. How about that? Right down the road from Roy. Next segment of the show is brought to you by a brand new sponsor who is a longtime friend of mine, Blair Chandler. You guys may be familiar with Blair. Blair is uh, a guy that has worked in the mortgage industry in central Mississippi for a long, long time. He's also a bulldog. Senior loan officer with Fairway Mortgage. They're a national company with local expertise. So they're very familiar with the market, the lending laws. They can kind of navigate you through this process. I had a lot of stress and anxiety. Fairway Mortgage is ranked in the top five for all national mortgage lenders. So it's a brand you can trust. They offer all types of mortgages, purchases, transaction, refis, conventional, FHA, USDA, and VA lending products. So you're not limited in that respect. Fairway also offers specialized renovation products on purchases and refis for that fixer-upper or a project that maybe just needs a little TLC. Fairway Mortgage is one of the most competitive companies in regards to rates and fees. They thrive on customer service and speed. Blair is licensed in Mississippi as well. That's Louisiana, Alabama, and Tennessee. So you got most of the border states covered, investing property, second homes, primary residences. He can do it all. Blair also has been a mortgage lender for 21 years. He's a Mississippi State alum, season ticket holder, and actually has a place here in Starkville. So here's the deal. Find Blair at closewithblair.com. That's closewithblair.com. That's B-L-A-I-R. And if maybe perhaps you need the phone number, rather than the website address, call him today, 601-500-2344. Again, that's 601-500-2344. Again, that's closewithblair.com. See him for your mortgage needs. All right, so I mentioned earlier in the show, we're going to talk a little bit about kind of the evolution of Mississippi State Athletics. So what does it mean for the other sports at Mississippi State now that Mississippi State has won an Apple championship in baseball. Well, I think in many respects, it shows that the bar has been raised a little bit. It's like, you know, before we're like, well, you know, we've never done it. You know, we're just kind of Mississippi State and you know, we're doing the best we can. They, you know, we made a bowl game, you know, we made the tournament. What do you want from us? Well, we want championships. We don't expect everybody to win an Apple championship, but I think it's one of those deals where, if you're a coach of another sport, you can say, hey, listen, you can come here and do great things at Mississippi State. And Mississippi State had never won one until last week. And so I think in many respects, you look at the trajectory of our program and also to our athletics programs and say, you know, hey, listen, on the recruiting angle of this, this is a win-win for everybody at Mississippi State. It's, you know, we don't have a Dippin' Dots. We don't, but we got an NFL championship trophy, and there are a lot of other people that don't have one in baseball. You know, and if you're Samantha Ricketts, you can say, hey, listen, you know, look at where we are. Look at the league in which we compete against. You can come here and compete at the highest level, and with the right group, we can go compete for an NFL championship. You know, if you're Ben Howland, you don't think, say, listen, hey, look, we can do this thing too. You know, look at the, the, the guys that we're bringing in, guys that are going on and playing pro basketball. You know, we can do it, too. If you don't think Mike Leach believes that, you're kidding yourself. So I think in many respects that the baseball team is kind of paving the way to kind of help recruiting efforts in other sports. Because it's not as simple as, hey, Mississippi State's one of uh, only a handful of Power Five teams that's never won a national championship. We don't ever have to listen to that anymore. We only got the one. We ain't got to listen to that anymore. And I also think, too, there is this – what about us mentality? I mean, there's a lot of people that say, you know what? Hey, 
I walk around the same campus. I use a lot of the same facilities, live in the same residence halls, have the same classes with the same instructors. Those guys aren't any better than me. If they can do it, so can we. And that's the attitude that everybody should take. I think this is a big thing for Mike Leach. Because Mike Leach is a guy, too, that came in last year and really embraced our history and, you know, Mississippi's heritage and, and college football. And we had the big video when the guys came in and, you know, we showed them all the great guys in the state of Mississippi that had gone on to do great things, whether they came to Mississippi State or not. And also the importance of, uh, you know, trying to get those guys all to go to Mississippi State. And so I think in many, many ways, Mike Leach, and not just because of the fact that uh, he's a highly intelligent guy, but it's just a guy that's won pretty big already. And he can say, you know what, if they can do it, so can we. And sometimes you just need some evidence. It's one of those things, you know, there that was kind of, you know, prevalent within our fan base. Is like, I think many of us kind of embraced the fact that we were kind of an also-ran. It's like, well, yeah, I mean, yeah, they did some great things. And I got my College World Series shirt, but I never really expected them to win it. And then we do. We kind of surprised ourselves a little bit. I, I, I don't really see it as um, – Mississippi State finally getting the title. I see it as Mississippi State, you know, kind of finally getting, you know, back to their rightful place. And I think it changes the perception of what's possible at Mississippi State. Because for many years, it kind of let everybody off the hook, right? You can say, well, look at the money they're spending on baseball. I mean, they're spending all this money on baseball and they're, you know, hiring coaches and building this great stadium and, and even with that, having the best facilities in the country, they couldn't do it. And so now that we have, you kind of remove that excuse. And I think that's an important part of it. You know, it's only impossible until somebody does it, right? You know, it's like you used to be with a five-minute mile. You know, everybody thought that was impossible until somebody did it. And once the first person does it, it's like in pretty quick succession, somebody follows behind them. It's like, well, now that we know that it's possible – Let's start. Let's just train a little bit harder. And I think that's what you want to see from your Mississippi State athletics right now. It's like now that baseball has kind of shown them that, hey, you know what? You can go out there and compete at a high level and win. You know, and you look at the women's basketball program, you know, we should have a national championship in women's basketball. And there was a stretch there. We all thought, you know what? They would be baseball. Vic Schaefer and them a layup away from being national champions and, and begin to kind of. Think about that in hindsight now. You know, we played for a NAFL championship in baseball in 13. Then we played back-to-back years in women's basketball. And then we just done it again in baseball. I mean, so since 2013, we have played for a NAFL championship four times. And so it wasn't just a matter of, hey, we know what Vic Schaefer was the right coach at the right time. And I have a tremendous amount of respect for Vic. I know many of you are very bitter about him leaving, you know, but that's okay. We had a great time together while he was here. Won a lot of basketball games for us. It made us care about a sport that we really just kind of, you know, ignored for many, many years. You know, really brought in and built a brand up here. But I think you look at it now and say Mississippi State is a place you can go and compete at an extremely high level and do some amazing things. It's not just, hey, you're going to go there and play in the SEC. No, 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 no. You can go win an SEC championship. You can win an SEC tournament championship. And now we know you can win a national championship. And then you get your college degree, and then you really have an opportunity to go play professional sports. And so I think this is the best thing that's happened, not just to baseball, but for athletics as a whole at Mississippi State. 
That was the thing that I always heard. And, and listen, you know, like in the Dan Mullen administration was here. Listen, I'm very, very, very grateful to Dan. I mean, 100%. Dan took us some places we'd never been before. It costs us a lot of money to get there. Maybe that's what we have to do. Maybe we have to overpay for a football coach here at Mississippi State. And maybe that's what we're doing with Mike Leach, but we do what we got to do, right? But one of the things that I heard a lot is, well, you know, we, we don't have a mall here. And so it's difficult for us to get guys to come here. We know a lot of the guys that we're recruiting, there's not a mall where they live either. So they don't know what they're missing. You know, making that drive to Tupelo or whatever to go over there to see that, you know, that's – and they're already making that trip. They're already familiar with that. Oh, well, Steve, we don't have a Sbarro in the food court. You know what? Okay, cool. You know, we got some other great places that you can get pizza around here too. And so I think a lot of times too, we, we kind of make excuses for our recruiting failures. You know, because, uh, you know, Vic Schaefer didn't have trouble getting big-time players here. You know, John Cohen, Andy Canizaro, Chris Lamonis haven't had a tough time getting big-time players here. Ron Paul did it routinely when he was here. You know, and I think, too, you know, you look at how the level we're recruiting now, you know, it's like you look at it and say, you know what, Mike Leach is doing it. And so when all of this kind of come, kind of comes together and we stop making excuses and just start, start finding solutions – it's incredible what we can get done. And then now you have this whole, you know, championship mentality. But also, too, I, I think where you guys kind of come in is all of you guys that went to Omaha and all you guys and gals that are buying out shirts all over the state. I think you're sending a message to recruits kind of inadvertently that, you know what, hey, this is a big-time program with a big-time fan base. And that's something that I might want to be a part of. And so be proud of that. Wear the shirts with pride. You know, obviously don't uh, do anything you're not supposed to. But, uh, you know, I think there is a there is a different level of pride and inclusion in this fan base right now. There are a lot of people in the past. It's like, well, you know, yeah, I'm a Mississippi State fan, but I'm, yeah, I'm not going to wear the shirt. I'm not going to do that. If people are rushing out to buy the M over S stuff and really anything they can get their hands on Mississippi State related. And so – as a university and as an athletics program, we have to really capitalize on that. We have to use the momentum that we have right now as a brand to really recruit some athletes perhaps that um, maybe weren't considering us before. But everything is affected in a very positive way. Everything. Our, our, our feelings about ourselves, you know, as, as a fan base, our goals as a fan base, and our expectations as a fan base. I mean, it's like, you know, I mean, I've read the message board argument for years. It's like, well, I don't accept mediocrity. Well, you know, I'm, I don't know what you do in your personal life, but, um, you know, it's real easy to have expectations of people that you have no authority over. But I think now it's like, you know what, now that we know what we can do, we don't have to be so bitter about things because we've done it. It's like there were many of us that said, you know what, we can do it, but for some reason we haven't done it. And now you almost feel somewhat esteemed by the fact we have. You say, you know what, I was right. We could do it at Mississippi State, and we can do it again. And I don't think it has to be limited to baseball. I just think baseball is kind of the forerunner for everybody. And, yeah, we've made an incredible commitment to baseball. I'm not excusing that at any stretch of the imagination. And I know it's a lot more difficult to do it in football. It is probably not quite as difficult to do it in basketball, but, you know, you've got to get some big recruiting wins out there. And, you know, maybe that's part of this name, image, and likeness thing too. Maybe that helps us. I don't know. You don't have as many, you know, players to go out and recruit. And as you know, in men's basketball, you know, really one recruiting class can really change the trajectory of a program. 
Maybe the transfer portal is something that can help us with that too, as it has this year. Same thing with women's basketball. And you, you get one recruiting class that's really stellar, and they grow up together, and you can kind of add pieces along the way. And so I feel good. I do. Now, I'll be honest with you. I didn't feel as good about <laughs> about things, you know, maybe in the winter sports. You know, we were struggling in men's basketball, and the women weren't doing well either. And we needed baseball to come and save us in many respects. We needed something to kind of go out on a high note because we'd had a losing season in football. We weren't doing good in other sports. Now, all of a sudden, it's like, all oh, that's forgotten. That's what winning does. Winning cures a multitude of sin, as Henry Blard told me. You know, he said everything is affected when you win. You know, the water tastes sweeter, the grass is greener, your girlfriend's prettier. Everything is affected positively when you win. And that's kind of where we are right now. There's a lot of people now that maybe were casual fans of Mississippi State. And we've kind of we've kind of had them jump on the bandwagon. You know, we got plenty of room. We need all the fans we can get in Mississippi State. You know, we're not a big state. We're not a huge fan base. Uh, but we showed in Omaha what these programs mean to us. And you guys have done it too in women's basketball. I mean, you know, we've, you know, we set attendance records and, you know, we do have done everything we can to support these these players and these coaches. And, again, I think it goes back – again, we feel like they're a part of us. And I think there is a family aspect of this that maybe is lacking with some other programs. And maybe it's because we're not – we haven't been as big time as maybe some other programs. But we've done some really big things as of late. And I think, again, this is the glory days of Mississippi State baseball, and I still think the best is yet to come. All right, Campus Bookmart is going to sponsor this next segment. Love the Campus Bookmart folks, man. And uh, Susie is always, like, commenting and liking my stuff on Facebook. Uh, she would probably do the same for you. If you are not Facebook friends with her, you need to go by and see her. Go to Campus Bookmart today. Go buy yourself some championship swag. Stan and Man is there. Miss Kathy Brown is there. And, listen, they are working diligently to get these orders filled. I mean, just doing a great job. And I can promise you, Kathy Brown is trying to find anything she can that says Mississippi State National Champions on it to sell. So I always believe in checking with Starkville vendors first. I can assure you my friends at Campus Bookmark are doing all they can to give you the best options available to outfit yourself with as much National Championship clothing and merchandise you can possibly find. If you can't make it to town, which is a shame, but if you can't make it to town, visit them on the World Wide Web at campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, it saves you a little money. Promo code BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. And that'll get you free shipping on all orders over 50 bucks. Any order less than 50 bucks, absolutely incomplete. I've had no less than a dozen people message me and say, hey, Steve, just ordered my stuff from Campus Bookmart. Thanks for the promo code. And you know what? Thanks for supporting them. And thanks for listening. We're in this thing together. So again, that's campusbookmart.net, promo code BSR. Now, this is not part of the ad, but at the same time, too, I think it uh, it, it probably should be. Is I want to I want to caution you guys, too, about a lot of these third-party vendors you see on Facebook and they're just promoted tweets and things like that. Listen, if it is not a brand you know, and there are a lot of them out there, you know, of course, you know, Health State itself is kind of marketing some of their clothing and they've, they've used some other uh, vendors to kind of fund that stuff. That's all legitimate. It is. 
But there are a lot of them out there. They're like doing these Photoshop pictures and they have these really crappy T-shirt designs and they have like Tanner Allen's face and Chris Lamonis. And like if you look at the one like Chris Lamonis' hands, like they're Andre the Giant's hands, those are fake. If they look fake, then the merchandise is going to be fake. The ad may be fake. I have had many experiences uh, because I've got college-age girls that thought all that stuff was legit and uh, had to get some new debit cards. As a result, never got merchandise, or if we did get merchandise, it came like months later. And so let me encourage you, whenever possible, do business with our Stargo merchants. But you know what? If you have some places that you like to do business closer to home, let me encourage you, stick with the winners. Don't go take a chance on some Facebook ad from some your hair brand company that's got, you know, this doctored ad up there. I mean, you can look at them a lot of times and you can kind of tell the presentation. But, you know, there are other times, too, that this is a foreign country and, and uh, you know, you, you go and fill out the stuff and you hope for the best and you never get your merch. And so rather than try to save a few bucks that you're going to lose, and I don't know about you, but I work too hard and uh, put up too much nonsense to give money away, spend a couple more bucks and buy it from a vendor within the state of Mississippi, if you can, uh, because, again, our people are trying to rebound from a very difficult 2020, and this NAFL championship has been great. Everybody's doing really well. And so you see the uh, videos and pictures on uh, on social media. But it's just simply better, not just because the Starkville vendors benefit, but also, too, you do. I mean, there are some assurances that, hey, I'm buying this from a place I can pick up the phone and call these people and and find out about my order. And and everybody's got to be a little bit patient right now. You guys have seen the you know the big rush and demand uh, for merch. And uh, you know, I was at you know a couple places today, and as I'm there, you know, there's like new designs coming in daily. And so before they even got some stuff up on the website, they were sold out. It's incredible. You guys are amazing. But I think, again, it's this, this moment in time that we want to document and we want to feel good and say, you know what, I'm, I'm getting some shirts, I'm getting some clothing. And I know Campus Bookmart just added some uh, College World Series polos, which I think are pretty cool, too. But again, let me encourage you as a voice of experience here. Be very, very careful about these Facebook ads that are out there suggesting that you buy from them because a lot of those companies are just not reputable. And again, most of them are international. So there's nobody to call. You email them. I bought some boots one time on one of those ads. I was thinking, hey, these are super cool. And uh, they ended up coming out of China. And I, and I don't say that to be you know, negative about any country or any people or anything like that. But when I bought them, they gave me this estimated ship date or whatever. And then by the time they got here, I'd even forgotten what they looked like. I won't ever make that mistake again, God willing. And then, uh, you know, I've had some you know, some young ladies in my family, too, that say, oh, this dress is so cute. And then what shows up is not at all what the ad looks like. The, the sizing is wrong. The material is wrong. And so just be careful. I don't want you to lose your money. I don't want your debit card number to be stolen. That has happened to us. And then you got to go through all that inconvenience you got to go down to the bank and fill out a form and dispute charges, and you got to wait for them to send you a new debit card, and then you don't really know what to expect. You know, then, And then if you're like me, you've got everything kind of set out to be drafted, or you've got some things out there where you've got your, 
debit card saved where you can go you know buy stuff and so there's just that whole inconvenience so avoid all of that you know by shopping with some of our historical vendors and again i recommend campus book mart it's because they're, they're, they're great people not, not just because they sponsor the show but you know they're going to have great merchandise for you and they're, they're going to get it to you expediently and listen you know what maybe if you've got some other historical vendors you feel good about that's fine too but I don't want to see any Bulldogs victimized in our moments of exuberance. You know, I, I was thinking, you know what, I want to get my hands on as much Mississippi State and NFL Championship merch as I can possibly get. And a lot of that stuff that, that they're going to send you is going to be substandard and it's going to be poorly designed and you're going to feel like you got ripped off. And that's exactly what's going to happen is you will have been ripped off. And so, again, be careful. So let's uh, let's get into some recruiting stuff. This segment of show brought to you by Portico. You know, Brooks Bryan, a longtime friend of mine, longtime friend of yours, uh, former Diamond Dog, and I uh, went to Omaha a couple times. Brooks Bryan even robbed a home run that sent us to Omaha against the University of Washington. How about that? So Brooks is part of a great development group that has uh, put together a really nice residential development just over a mile away from campus. And uh, I've been fortunate to partner with them now for, uh, you know, for a few months, and uh, it's working. I mean, these guys are they're selling the houses. I believe there's two houses left in phase one. I should probably get an update on that because uh, I think there were four houses and it was down to three. And so I, I say that just because there needs to be a little bit of urgency here. And a lot of you are thinking, hey, I don't really want to move in the summer. we got vacation. The school year is going to be here. You never know when life is going to offer you the opportunity. And with what's happening right now, Mississippi State Athletics, and especially in baseball, don't you want to be here next year for the whole season? And you, you need to go ahead and start making some plans now so you can get your house closed and get settled and have a great Christmas and a new home, make some good memories, and then go get some season tickets so you can go out there and watch Diamond Dogs play. Doesn't that sound wonderful? I mean, it absolutely does to me. Move to Starkville, be able to go to all of your favorite restaurants, and, and, and we still eat there. You know, it's like, you know, sometimes you think, what's well, just a treat when I come to town. Now, you know, it's still a treat when you live here, too. The people are great. The food's great. The university's great. You can get a two-bedroom, two-bath, four-bedroom, four-bath, whether it be your primary residence, a single-family dwelling, or an investment property, or maybe it's just kind of your home away from home. Maybe when you just want to get away from the hustle and bustle and come to Starkville and Maybe it's not even a game day weekend. You just want to kind of come up here and be around us because we're absolutely cool people. We'd love to have you as a neighbor. Give Brooks Bryan a call today, 601-416-8075. Again, that's 601-416-8075. It's just a mile away from campus. You turn off of 82 on a 12, like go into campus, the very first ride will take you right to Portico. It's that simple. It's that close. What could be better? And people are going to tell you, oh, you need to live here. No, 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 no. Portico is the way to go. If I was moving to Starkville now, that's where I would go because I would want to be that close to campus. And you're on the right side of campus. You know what I'm saying? It's like you're not over there where all the hustle and bustle is and there's all that business traffic on the on the other side of campus. You're on the back side of campus. And so your pathway to get there is so much easier to navigate. It's the easiest thing in the world. Portico Make it your next move. All right, let's talk a little football recruiting here. Since we have been together, Mississippi State has picked up a new football commitment. You might be familiar with that. Happened, uh, oh, this evening. Uh, I guess, what is this? It's Wednesday morning now. 
happened Tuesday at DeCarlos Nicholson. Not unexpected. I give Paul Jones some credit. You know, once uh, things kind of got rolling with his recruitment, Paul said, yeah, this guy's going to be a bulldog. And he is. Didn't take him long. The offer hadn't been in hand for very long, but now he is a bulldog. And uh, a junior college corner. And when you think about what we may be losing this year, Martin Emerson will have the opportunity to go pro. And so I think there is a real chance that that's going to happen. You know, we expect Emmanuel Forrest to be back. Matter of fact, I saw Emmanuel Forrest Friday night. He was out celebrating with your baseball team. But DeCarlos Nicholson is uh, originally out of Petal, Mississippi, and uh, attends Mississippi Gulf Coast Community College. He is unranked at this point, but he is, uh, he is a guy we expect uh, to go on a decent ranking. You know, we'll see. I haven't watched his film yet. And uh, I, I've got to owe you guys a couple scouting reports over on Gene's page. we got to do a Cam East thing, and we got to do a DeCarlos Nicholson, and I will probably get to those tomorrow. Uh, but this is a guy – let me run down this offer sheet for you here just so you guys know. I know some of you, it's not about it's not about who we get. It's who we beat to get him. So he has offers from Arkansas State, Baylor – Louisiana, Lafayette, Louisiana Tech, Ole Miss, Southern Miss, and, and uh, Memphis has shown some pretty serious interest in him. And uh, he picks Mississippi State. Six foot three, 200 pounds, a long, lengthy corner. And that appears to be what Darcel McBath is looking for. I, I, and maybe he's kind of recruiting in his own image. But we're getting these guys with length, and it makes it more difficult to throw over them. You know, they're guys that can, you know, squat on routes, but obviously, too, get their hands up when somebody wants to throw the fade. And it seems like today everybody wants to throw the dadgum fade. But DeCarlos fits that mold. You know, when you look at Forbes and look at Emerson, the long, lean corner that can really run, that's who he is. And uh, just running through here, a couple things that um, – you know, Nicholson was just on campus here recently. And so, you know, he's a guy, obviously, that feels really good uh, about what he saw there. And he, he says in the end that it came down to State, Baylor, and UL Lafayette. And he said, you know, State kind of turned up the heat and he really wanted to play in the SEC. So I don't know, you know, how much uh, interest Terrell Buckley and Ole Miss had here as of late. But, uh, you know, he was a guy that we targeted pretty early. And he comes to camp and uh, kind of kind of verifies our evaluation of him. And so then you go through the offer at him and you get going. And, uh, you know, we're, we're going to take him as a corner. We feel good about him there. And, and uh, again, he is one of those guys, too, when I look at this and I begin to think, you know, we have had some difficulties recruiting defensive backs until this year. You know, we had some struggles last year, but it seems like this year we're in pretty good shape. So that's a newcomer. And, uh, you know, one of the people always ask me, Steve, who is the guy you're most worried about to decommit or flip into the program. And I'll be honest with you, it's uh, it's Kylan Griffin. I worry about him a little bit because I think his offer sheet is going to continue to grow. Recently picked up Tennessee, uh, really good-looking safety prospect um, out of Montgomery, Alabama. But uh, currently rated an 85, I expect that to change. If you look at his film, you can probably agree with me. He is a little bit undervalued as a prospect. But this is a guy that six one one eighty that his best football is ahead of him. Uh, got a ton of offers, you know, pick state over Florida State, many others. Tennessee is a relatively newer offer, and so he's kind of getting to know those guys. Auburn is the one that I've always worried about. 
you know, you know, and, and this Tennessee thing is interesting too because he gets offered one day and he visits there a couple days later. And you know, you know who's not out taking unofficial visits? Guys that are one hundred percent certain. And you can say, well, you know, Stephen, they deserve to enjoy the process. I'm not begrudging that. I'm just preparing you that, you know, guys like that that are still out kind of being courted a little bit, you know, kind of like, you know, the girls on uh, Tinder, I guess. You know, it's like you know, there aren't any committed people on Tinder, right? And so the reason they take these trips is not just to go get their picture made in front of a stadium, that there's still some interest. It may not be a major interest, but they're still looking at this and saying, Hey, maybe I'm not hundred percent sold on what I've got. And maybe I'm kind of keeping that in my back pocket while I go through this recruiting process. That's not to say Mississippi state's not doing a great job recruiting him, making him feel like a priority, but he is the guy that I'm, I'm really watching, especially this summer. I think that he, I think if we navigate the summer, we're probably okay because he's out kind of seeing some schools and going to some camps and getting to know some coaches. And so Auburn has kind of always been the one because of its proximity to home that I've worried about a little bit. But, uh, you know, listen, we're going to be able to get defensive backs. Last year was kind of an anomaly. Uh, I want to share with you thing too. Uh, Jacarius Clayton, we've talked about him a little bit. I, I like him as a player. I don't like him as much as some other people do. Um, and I say this with as much respect as I can possibly muster. There are a lot of people, they, they love who they think we're going to get. Does that make sense? It's like, oh, well, if State's going to get him, we've got to be in great shape. Um, you know, I, I, that's not – listen, State hadn't always taken the best guys, right? That's just kind of how it is. And that, that's not to be critical of any player or any coach. There are sometimes we take a guy hoping they develop, and then they don't. And there are other guys that we take thinking, okay, well, we're going to take him, and then we have a plan for him, you know, whether position-wise, and for some reason or another, they just don't embrace that. And so what's interesting to me about this Jacarius Clayton thing is, um, you know, the talk that I heard is, you know, he took that visit to Arizona State and didn't really communicate that to anybody, just took the trip. Now, I don't think he would have ever gone to Arizona State. But I think that kind of leans you into making a phone call to say, hey, listen, hey, we thought you were good. And, you know, we initially recruited you as an offensive lineman. You expressed an interest in being a defensive lineman. So we just kind of let you pick and choose and said, okay, you can play your position of choice. And then all of a sudden you're taking these visits. And so it kind of goes back to the whole Colin Griffin thing. You know, guys that take – official visits while committed to other schools are essentially uncommitted. They may have not decommitted and they may have declared their intentions to go to your school, but they're still shopping. And so from what I understand, that was kind of communicated to Jacarius. It's like, hey, if you're still looking, then we're still looking too. kind of that whole crew mentality, too. It's like, hey, we want you to be part of this. But, you know, you've been committed to us all this time and we've kind of taken uh, you know, some, some other opportunities and said, you know what? Hey, we're good here. We don't need to pursue this player. And now all of a sudden you're not completely in your resolve to be Mississippi State Bulldogs. So we have to look around. So I give the staff a lot of credit. So the Chris Clayton releases a top five tonight of Ole Miss, Arizona State, Oregon, Indiana, and Memphis. I firmly believe this will be an Ole Miss deal. I really do. 
And I do think Jacarius Clayton is a really good player. I don't think he is a difference maker that some of our posters maybe tried to suggest. I, I still believe that he is an offensive lineman. I believe that was – now, here's the thing about that, too. If he doesn't embrace that, then it's not going to work, right? You know, so it's like he projects more as an offensive lineman. I don't think he is quick twitch enough to play on the defensive line. I, I just don't. I, I think he is probably an offensive guard at the next level, maybe a right tackle in some schemes, but he's not going to be at Mississippi State. Mississippi State has moved on. Jacarius has moved on. We wish him the best. And he's right up the road in Tupelo and had a chance to see him play last year. And uh, I've met him. Really nice kid, too. And so, you know, again, these things happen. You know, these things happen sometimes in recruiting. You know, it's like, you know what, hey, coach, I did last year I didn't get out to go to any camps because of the quarantine. And, you know, I, I just feel like that I, I owe it to myself to get out and go visit some schools, and that's cool. But, again, here's what happens. He's committed to Mississippi State, and all of a sudden he takes an official visit. Now he's not committed to Mississippi State. And that's not necessarily all of his doing. But when you see those guys out and about, it's one thing to go to a team seven-on-seven camp. You know, you're going with your team trying to get better and go out and compete, and you're on a college campus. I, I think that's, you know, that's going to happen all around the country. But you know what? When you get on an airplane and you on, on their expense and you, uh, you go out there and take a trip, there's some cause for caution. So Mississippi State, I told you guys, you know, we, we were really rolling for a while. And uh, we're now, because of the big July 4th uh, glut of recruiting, and I don't know when July 4th became um, such a big day to, to uh, announce your commitment, but that happened. And there were a ton of commitments, and that has pushed Mississippi State actually out of the top 20. We're 21st in the country. Now, what I expect to happen is Mississippi State to end up in the top 20. I think we'll be probably 18, 19, maybe 17 but, you know, losing Xavier Harris to Ole Miss is a big blow to that, that prospect, too. That's a guy that we really think a lot of, and I don't think that recruitment's over by any stretch of the imagination. But, you know, it's interesting. State wins a national championship, and all of a sudden Ole Miss has to go out and get a football kid to commit. It's like I, I don't understand why anybody would think that was even comparable, but, but whatever. Uh, but, yeah, Mississippi State's going to be a good class. We're doing a good job recruiting. But the strength of this class has got to come on the defensive line. We've got to get out there and get some war daddies up front, and we need to kind of replenish what we have. Uh, again, I'm excited about the class. I'm excited to get into these uh, July camps. And I've kind of enjoyed having a little downtime, too, even though I've written a lot. I've got a lot of meetings this week, too. But uh, I've enjoyed kind of transitioning back in the home and kind of looking forward to uh, getting out there and, and watching some of these guys compete in these camps. And before you know it, man, it's going to be football season. And that's one of the better things, too, about having that elongated baseball year is that we don't – football season's here before you know it. I mean, it's already July 7th. I mean, it's like, you know, baseball started in February, uh, February 15th, and we got done last, uh, you know, last Wednesday. And so it's like all of a sudden you look around and say, okay, I'm just kind of getting caught up doing my honeydew list stuff and – you know, we're going to be having SEC media days here pretty quick. And we're going to have the, the opening of fall camp. I mean, before you know it, we're going to be writing practice reports and doing press conferences with Michael Leach. It's great. I don't enjoy the dog days of summer. I, I really don't. I, I don't I don't enjoy, you know, baseball ends in May like it does in some other programs. And uh, and then, you know, football doesn't start till September. It's like, man, it's like the summer months take forever. Not that I don't enjoy summer, but I enjoy college athletics a little bit more. Listen, it's going to do it for today. Listen, if you had not done so, go to alphadogsbook.com. You get personalized copies of Flim Flam, Alpha Dogs, and Stark Villains. I want to thank you guys again 
that uh, Blooms of Oleander back on the bestseller list again. I think it's um, it came out June seventh. It's been on the bestseller list every week. It's been eligible. Thank you for that. You can find that at your local bookstore. They can order it for you. Uh, if you're in Starkville, you can go to Book Martin Cafe and downtown and get signed copies today. They're already done. If you want them personalized, you call them, and I'm happy to do it for you. But also, too, um, you can find it if you don't care about my signature, and that's cool, too. You can go to Amazon, booksamillion.com, or Barnes & Noble and order Blooms of Oleander through them. It's also available as an ebook uh, on Kindle and Nook. And if you're looking for Stark Villains gear, and you darn well should be, Go to StarkVillains.com and get your Stark Villains t-shirt. And again, I'm thanks so much to uh, uh, the camp girls that have worn them at uh, Duty Noble Field all year long. Thank you guys so much. Until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we'll make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.